This is Park Life. I'm your host, Michael Croker. Meet Nigel Benton, co-owner and publisher of Australasian Leisure Management, Australia and New Zealand's only magazine for professionals in all areas of the leisure industry. We caught up at the recent Australian Amusement, Leisure and Recreation Association's 2022 conference and showcase. Passionate and fearless in pursuing his goals, we took some time to talk through his industry life so far. Now don't forget, if you're enjoying Park Life, please do take the time to rate, review and share. That all helps in raising the podcast profile. Okay, here we go. Welcome along to another episode of Park Life. We're here at the Alara Conference again for 2022. I'm sitting with Nigel Benton and Nigel, hopefully I get this right, the founder and editor of Australian, Australasian Leisure Management. How was that? Close, close. You got the Australasian right, which is important. But probably not important <laughs> to Australians because Australians don't really get. Well, why did you do your own introduction? Australasia now. is, um, but Australasia is very important to New Zealanders. So it, it's funny how that different name plays out in two pretty similar countries. But it is Australasian leisure management. Yeah, yeah. We started as Australian, and then we took over a New Zealand publication. Gosh, almost twenty years ago, and then we added the AS in there. Can we just before we dig into some of your backstory? Can we just go? and understand what ALM actually is for people that don't know. Yeah. We're essentially a business-to-business magazine, a trade magazine for people who work in the business of leisure. Uh, And we take a very wide view of leisure that includes aquatics, attractions, entertainment events, sport venues and the like. Uh, Really what the management of other people's out-of-home free time. Uh, And so that's what we cover in terms of being a print magazine, which is features-based and we've now produced for 25 years. Uh, and then a news-based website, everybody gets their news online these days, that complements the magazine. The two complement each other in providing an industry news service so people in the industry know where funding's available, what developments are underway, who's taken what jobs, what innovations there's been, some of the issues the industry's facing as well, so that we equip people so that they can do their job better uh, in providing for other people's out-of-home free time. And even if it takes sometimes takes a very wide view, one sector can learn from another sector as to how people are spending, how they're marketing. People only have a certain amount of discretionary spend. So where are they putting their dollars? Are they, are they going to cinemas? Are they going to theme parks? Are they investing in things close to home and working out and, and, and joining gyms or going to pools and, or local sporting events? So that, that sort of way that people spread their discretionary dollar is of interest to all sectors because there's only so much to go around and mm. each sector wants to get as much of it as they can. Mm. Well, can I do the, go back in time? What gave you such a desire to be in service to the industry like you are through ALM and, and what it's doing. Where does, where does that spring from? What's your, your background? Yeah, my background was the first job in a museum. Uh, and at the time in the 80s, God, this is a long time ago, uh, museums were sort of facing a challenge of having been played dusty places where scientific got, stuff got stored and the public were a damn nuisance. And realizing that they could change what they offered to be a place where people came paid money meant they could then develop more services and more products to offer Um, and 
so it's that transition as they became not a crusty old institution but a visitor attraction so that's where I started that I then worked in tourism uh, international uh, adventure tourism uh, in, in the Middle East which was huge fun um, can we just can we just stop there because I don't <laughs> want to get too far ahead too quick when you say that's a lot of fun what were you doing there I was leading adventure tour groups we uh, scuba dived and snorkeled in the Red Sea wow. we, we sailed on the Nile uh, we did not, not sort of pitons and sort of north face of the Eiger type climbing but we'd climb uh, Mount Sinai uh, so that was a yeah a, a very fun time poorly paid but uh, huge fun <laughs> it must have been incredible <laughs> yeah it was it yeah. was and I still have friends both you know mainly Australians I work with uh, who are friends to this day and also people in those countries where I'm still in contact with and I know when they've had children or they've had their grandchildren in the family which is a wonderful connection to have had so and again just to to keep up with you, how do you then, where do you move out from that experience? What do you go to? Well, all along, I found it quite easy to write about what I was doing. It became a sort of community. Not, uh, Were you journaling? Not, not really, no. I, I, it was before that. Um, I did short courses in journalism just to sort of learn how to sort of hone a craft of writing about what I did. So I'd be published in various travel magazines and things like mm. that and, and heritage magazines on top of what I was doing in some of my day-to-day -day, sort of day -day working life. Um, and I found it quite easy to do. I don't think my writing style is particularly good, but there's a personal thing about I like joining up the dots to make sense of something and then being able to share that that other people can learn from and benefit from and where, like. where does that come from god knows I really don't yeah. know yeah. I mean I wasn't particularly good at English at school and I wasn't in any drama groups or things such as that yeah. but just I suppose it's just a desire to make sense of stuff um, a lot of the time which I find day-to-day -day life is a complete mystery and you, yeah. but you try to work it out as to why things that happen impact other things and then impact the general yourselves and then the general public mm. so where do you move on from that next phase well it was museums tourism it's all sort of under that leisure umbrella uh, I, I was working back in the UK in the early 90s and I was somebody had seen what I'd done in terms of writing uh, and offered me the opportunity to launch a magazine wow. uh, in in the UK leisure sector um, which I did. Yeah. Uh, what was that? From. It was called the Leisure Manager. Right. Uh, and, and just in that space, when that offer comes to you, that comes to you from from who? Was it someone that was like a mentor? Someone known to you? Did they find? Did they single you out? How did that happen? It was a professional body, a bit like a, 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 a like a collective. A, a, yeah, a leisure industry body, a bit like a Lara, but in the UK. Uh, it had a significant membership because you know UK market is yes. bigger, um, and they were looking to do a magazine. Uh, and, and from that I was given that opportunity to, to work out how you put a magazine together. Were you hesitant at all or you thought, no, this makes sense? It, it was a pleasure to do it. I was conscious at the time I was making heaps of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, but you learn from your mistakes as you go along. And then you make different ones. Uh, but I, it was the process of actually being given a venture like that to, to pull together. Uh, and make it work and get it published and you know the, the three things you need for a good magazine which is a good readership uh, that, that's your fundamental then you want advertisers who want to reach that readership uh, and then the third part is good content that the readership want to read and each one of those drives the other and I learnt those fundamentals quite early uh, and you know, applied them since. Did you have a big team on that? No, very small, very right. small. 
um, yeah, you think of sort of you know the, the when you see in the movies, uh, yeah, there's, and writers, there's a writers' and, room. Yeah, there's a whole floor in the editor's <laughs> office in the corner, and then the managing, <laughs> managing editor's office beyond that. No, always work very small teams, lean teams. Right. Um, God, I don't know how I'd manage a big team. I never really had that opportunity. But working with lean, lean and small teams is a lot of fun. You know, yeah. you, everybody has an input. Everybody can see what their outcomes are and what the, you know, what they've been able to achieve as part of that, which yeah. is very satisfying. Did you? Can you recall when the first magazine, the first issue under your charge, came off the press? Yeah, and and exciting then and exciting now even yeah. now yeah it's still that excitement there's partly trepidation as you open the page and you just have that fear that something's gone wrong in the production and you've got sort of you know 70 pages of blank pages or whatever <laughs> which fortunately has never happened but there's still that little bit of trepidation <laughs> yeah so when that happens uh how do you find yourself in australia how do you okay <laughs> uh, my wife who i met in egypt was an aussie girl um and yeah we, we hit it off um, it just sounds unusual. You meet you meet the love of your life, an Aussie girl, while you're in Egypt and you're out of the UK, and she's from down under. It was an unusual set of circumstances. I mean, yeah. God, that George Michael song, "Different Corner." We could quite easily, our paths could not have crossed. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you ponder that, and it's those sort of kind of mysteries of life. Yeah. Think, what, what would have happened there? But yeah, yeah, we met. Um, I came out when I was still traveling and stayed with her when she was working in Adelaide. Um, then we got married, worked in the UK for what was it, four or five years. That was during the time when I launched that magazine. Right. Uh, then our older boy was born. Uh, and London is a great place to be single or a couple. Yeah. It's a rubbish place for children. It is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, we thought about what we'll do. And yeah, came out to Australia uh, to bring up a family. Did either of you have a plan in terms of what, what would be the line of work? Or you knew, I'm going to set up something here that's very similar to what I'm doing? We had a few options that we were looking at. Um, one of them was to do something similar here. I was very mindful that there was nothing in the Australian market mm. like what I've been producing in the UK. I was going to ask UK. you that, yeah. Um, and that was one of about three or four options I had. Uh, and the great thing I found about Australia is that while you know, then and now it's common to sort of moan about red tape and things like that, in spite of all the restrictions, regulations, licenses, there, it's an incredibly can-do sort of place. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you've got an idea, there's a lot of people who will give you, in some cases, financial support, but if nothing else, just moral support and, and, and guide you. And I find that enormously refreshing and it was a very different way to work. Uh, yeah. and do business to what I'd always found in the UK, which was very much more hierarchical. Right. Uh, and that was a real pleasure to be. I, I mean, one of the things I remember, gosh, I wish I could remember his name, but he was quite a famous guy the, um, at the time, general manager of marketing for Toyota, when Toyota were a massive brand. And, and the, he's the guy who jumped up the uh, Oh, What a Feeling campaign. Right. Uh, and I remember wanting to speak to him, uh, and I phoned up Toyota. And I think within, within a minute, I was speaking to him. Yeah, you had yeah, access. There that was quickly. no gatekeepers. There in the UK, I dread. You know, it would have taken weeks to get if yeah. you got to speak to the guy at all. And this guy was then quite free with his advice. Which so I why did you reach out to him? I was looking at the wider leisure market and really some marketing opportunities and how how they work in Australia because I had to be conscious that well, Australia, you know, we speak the same language and many things are the same. It's very beguiling to think, and people have fallen foul of this by thinking 
this works in the UK, it's automatically going to work right. here, and vice versa. Yes. You know, you know, the two that spring to mind are Marks and Spencer's coming to Australia, yeah, right. where it's never happened and never worked. Bunnings in the UK didn't really work. And <laughs> right. they, these are models that you think, oh God, yeah, similar market, it's going to work. And what do you think that is? I know it's probably not a quick answer, but what do you think that is? I think it's too easy to think that because it works in one market and the next market is very similar, speaking the same language especially, and then all sorts of historical links yeah, and everything else, yeah. that I think people overlook how difficult it will be. Right. Uh, that there are established competitors um, who may well view, you know, be work actively against an outs a new outside entity coming into the market. Uh, or just uh, overlook that you know, consumers behave differently. Yeah, okay. This conversation that you have with this gentleman, what does it do for you? It just, well, one, it was wonderful to actually get to somebody so quickly, but it was just one of many people I spoke to who was trying to get insights on, on the market, the, the industries in general, how Australians leisure time and activities and spending. And, and a lot of what Australians do is pretty obvious, you know. They love their sport, uh, yeah. they love their live entertainment, they like going to the pub and club, and they love the beach, uh, and all those sorts of things. But it was just trying to fill in the gaps between those as to how people behave and, and, and how they spend their dollars. It seems really smart that you did that process before simply just launching in. What, what gave you the understanding that that's how you need to do it, rather than just coming in and imposing the way that you wanted to do it? Why were you... What made you cautious in asking those questions? Because you could have gone the other way and been more cavalier. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. That's a good question. I, I guess it's good, a good lesson in life to ask people who know and, and not yeah. assume that you know it all. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I guess a bit similar, similarly to some of the examples I've given you about businesses that have failed. One of the motivators for starting the magazine is that we picked in the UK, from the UK, was that we picked up quite a few Australian subscribers to the magazine, to a UK-based magazine. And I'm aware that, like, you know, Alara looks to the USA with IARPA, or looks to how Europeans are operating in, in the attractions industry, that there's a lot of sort of, you know, cross-sharing of information, cross-pollination, if you like, of from one market to another where people learn from others. So that was one of the things that sort of suggested the germ of an idea of Australians who are subscribing to a magazine in the UK, maybe they'll subscribe to one in their in their own backyard. Uh, so that was that was one of the motivators. But asking, I guess it's always good to ask advice, isn't mm, it? Um, mm. You know, whether it's a, a parents, teachers, you know, mentors, if you're lucky enough to find people who sort of, you know, think what you know, you've got potential and they will guide you along um, yeah mm. I can't, yeah that's a good question yeah. I, I, I sometimes think I am a bit cavalier with things and do bulldoze things through but I guess in starting that I did um, you know, ask people who knew a lot more than me from the point of conceiving the idea to launching how long are we talking I think we, yeah there was a lot of planning um, and then as with any new business venture, there was a go for it, you know, the go for it day. And I think the go for it day was in September 96, and then we launched in February 97. Right. So that was the, the lead in time to, yeah, we're gonna, we're, you know, we thought about this, we've got things in place, okay, now we're gonna do it. Now we're gonna target contributors, advertisers, yeah. potential readers, and so on. What were your channels of distribution then? How were you getting, getting it out? Direct mail, and, and, and we still do. Okay, so uh, direct, B2B. Yeah, yeah. Direct, direct mail to subscriber database. We have tried uh, news agent distribution. Um, we were aware, we, and this was you know, pre-internet, that uh, we were aware that we were a very specialist publication. Um, 
and Australia has a lot of titles. I mean, back then and even now, Australia has a, a huge number of magazine mastheads per head of population. Uh, I think at the time it was the, the largest per capita in the world. Right. Uh, but being a very specialist magazine, we tried it for a while. There, there were various things that meant that side of it didn't work. Yeah. And it, was, it wasn't something we were reliant on. We were always focused on direct mail to industry subscribers. Um, who, yeah, and it's a very different market from yes, going in course. to buy, you know, to buy new idea, new idea, or time, or whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. What was the on 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 release? Was it a slow burn, or was the industry very quick to jump on and say, "Oh, here's a here's a great platform." Yeah, one of the things that we did from day one was make links with different associations. Alara being one. Um, we were very mindful we needed to hit the ground running and, and I've always had a back of the envelope sort of calculation. You need a minimum of 5,000 subscribers, readers to make a magazine work. That's right. enough readers to interest the advertisers right. and, and then the advertisers drive huh. the content. Yeah. Um, so we set out to create links with each of the individual industry bodies for the different sectors. And that there was, with there being no one overarching industry body, meant that none of those bodies had had the scale to produce their own magazine. So we went to VMA for the venues, we went to the Aquatic Industry Associations, the Fitness Industry Associations, uh, and Alara as well to say, we will produce a magazine that you can give to your members as a membership benefit. Um, and therefore that gave us the numbers to make the readers, or the, the, to make it all start to add up. Yeah, right. And I think we launched with about 4,000 people we were mailing the magazine to. Yes. And then went to drive individual subscribers as well, who are people who may not be members of associations or consultants, architects, suppliers, government, and so on. What was the growth like in the, the, the first few years? We grew quite quickly, so that within a couple of years, we would double that subscription base or that readership base to about 8,000. Huh. Then we plateaued on 10,000 for a long time. Uh, and then strangely enough, through COVID, readership grew. So we now uh, mail just over 12,000 copies of the print magazine. What, how do you attribute growth in that period? That, that's a very good one. Um, partly it's trying to be hit and reach more potential readers and existing readers that, that give them a, an awareness of the magazine so that they, and to hopefully have good, you know, good content that makes it readable. Right. It's just interesting, I guess, in, in that period when a lot of other businesses, I guess, are floundering uh, or holding position or going under, you actually found some growth? We did, is. we did. And I often say uh, with the growth of you know, online, at some point we will stop printing sure. a magazine. But I probably said that first about 10 years ago. Um, and I still see no point in the near future where we will stop printing. Why As is that? It works. It works and it's still profitable. Right. Um, I mean, worst scenario, if all of our advertisers pulled out, well, then we'd have to, have to take a serious look at what we do. But our advertisers, print advertising as well gives people something tangible. Uh, and Are you surprised that you've gone the distance still on having... I'm, I'm pleased. I'm not surprised. I mean, the, the nature of and how we differentiate our product between the features-based magazine and news-based website is has helped us because you've seen over the last decade or so how daily newspapers have died for the most part because they couldn't keep up with internet 
and then they've moved online. But they, for the most part, well, many regional papers and things like that don't print at all. The city papers do print, but, but in far smaller numbers. So the market has changed very much. But again, where we're specialists, uh, we're pretty much the only source of information or the only people who kind of curate curate and present a collection of industry information. We are pretty much the only people who do that. Yeah, and that was a question I was going to ask you is how crowded your your specific market is for industry. It doesn't seem like that it's that crowded. It seems like it is really ALM before it's anybody else. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've never truly, there have been other some other publications, but we've never truly had direct competitors. Yeah. And sometimes that's a double-edged sword. We can't right. say our magazine, you know, like, like the editor or the publishers of the Sydney Morning Herald and the Australian can say our, our product, our, our apple, is better than the other person's orange. Um, we haven't been able to make that comparison. So sometimes yeah. that's been a bit of a disadvantage. How do you avoid the trap of complacency in a situation like that? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I just, it's just such a great industry to be in. I mean, we're, we're not directly in it in providing a, a service to the public. To be able to report on what's going on in the industry uh, and cover it and hopefully represent it in some ways as well, it's just, it's good. It's a fun industry to be in it. Many another industry, I'm sure it wouldn't have the same, you know, you wouldn't have the same ongoing motivation. But, and the great thing is one's still learning about what's going on and obviously people are changing how they do business and adapting and if we can reflect that in what we cover it's still it's still fun and you know it's it's exciting you know yeah. to be able to to make again what i said earlier make sense of stuff to join yes. together the dots to present something that you know people will hopefully learn from and benefit from and it does come down to the industry just being such fun i mean yes. there, there is there is there are so many great things about this industry that we can cover and, and what it does for people in terms of how they enjoy themselves, just simply having fun um, in some areas, in you know, more active uh, physical activity areas, in terms of how they achieve people and achieve things and attain things. It's great to be part of that and report on that sort of vibrancy and energy. And, and you know, there are still new developments happening, uh, always new developments happening, Young, younger people coming into the industry, revitalizing it. Uh, and I still think, as I probably did 20, 30 years ago, I don't really understand how it all works, but I'll do my best to try and make it easy for other people to understand it uh, and try to attain so that I can finally get it and can share that and, yeah. and work through the whole mysteries of how different industries work and what the public are doing and what the public want and, and what people are developing yeah. and innovations and so on. There seems to be a free spirit in you and an entrepreneurial spirit, even when we go back to that hopping around the world and doing these different roles. To kind of change lanes for a moment, for anyone that might be listening that you know, has an idea of a thing they want to do or they want to back themselves and, and try something that might be fresh and unique, what do you say to people that might have self-doubt or wonder if they're able to fully realise their goals or ambitions? You don't seem to have dealt with a wall of doubt about what you're capable of that's brought you to a complete stop. You seem to have been someone that's had a vision and a thought and thought, well, I'm going to now go for this. How do you keep out of your own way, I guess is the question, for people that might be thinking about similarly getting an entrepreneurial spirit going? Yeah, I think essentially Australians in particular are very entrepreneurial anyway. I mean, as a, as a people that are outgoing and confident and they've got an ability to see things through. And I look at some of the business successes of the last five, 10, 
20 years. And there's been some extraordinary successes of, of businesses that have started up from someone having that bright idea uh, and have gone for it and have then achieved extraordinary success. I guess at the same time we don't hear about those or hear so much about those businesses that have failed and sadly the last few years have brought home a, a fair number of failures as well. Um, I guess you've got to have that, that mindset that you have a, a confidence in what you're going to develop uh, and then temper that with being able to manage it and develop it and fund it and, and, and so on. Um, I guess if people have mentors um, and or backers, that's an important area as well. We never really had financial backers. Uh, we've always been independent in what we do. And that's possibly what I said, where being independent uh, and being unique in what we're doing is a bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, one sector that's grown, and I know it doesn't relate specifically to Park Club, but the fitness industry over the last 15, 20 years, how that has grown uh, and the franchises and the businesses that have developed in that sector, and one often looks at it, and some research companies as well have suggested the market is approaching saturation. Right. And then another half dozen franchises launch. And then you have an extraordinary thing like uh, F45 Fitness, which yes. is see everywhere that was launched less than 10 years ago in, right. in Sydney uh, it's expanded internationally it was floated last year for 1.5 billion on Wall Street uh, with backers including Mark Wahlberg Wow uh, and there are a lot of similar success stories from that that's somebody who had a vision developed it gone for it produced a product that's worth a lot more than ALM <laughs> Um, but it's extraordinary that level of success yeah. in a market that you would have thought was saturated. Yes, uh, and I commend that. And I just, as for lessons one can learn from that, I think it's having the idea and having the confidence, and I guess you know rolling with the punches as they come along as well, because mm. there will be challenges, and seeing them through as best as you can. Mm. Sadly, some businesses don't succeed. Um, we're in a country where hopefully that means people don't end up destitute and the like uh, 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 and can then try and try again in some cases and some business successes come from people who've you know, who've been in business failed failed again and then eventually succeeded what continues to drive you as a last question what's the what's the fuel yeah it's a, there's a few things there it's a great industry to be involved in yeah I, I love being in, you know having skin in the game as it were uh, and trying to make sense of stuff, still yes, coming back yes. to trying to join up those dots yeah. to present something that others can learn from and hopefully benefit from. It's, uh, it's been terrific to sit with you. I've been aware of you for many years. Well, I think we crossed paths when I was at Wonderland. That's right, when we yeah. first met. And your name's always been around for as long as I can remember. And to finally get the chance to sit with you and just capture that story uh, is terrific. So thanks for taking time out and being a part of the Park Life series. Absolute pleasure, Michael, and I hope that Park Life continues to thrive. Good on you. Thanks, Good Nigel. On. Thanks.